Hey, hey, gorgeous. Welcome back to the podcast. We are at episode 81 and today I have got author of Brand Hustle, a book I have been raving on about for some time, Troy McKinna, on the podcast as my guest today, which I'm super excited about. So for any brand geeks out there, get ready because it's a good one. Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. We're learning how to create an epic brand, find the right marketing strategies, and building your business is a constant evolution, classroom, and lab. Each week, we'll be diving into all things brand and marketing with special guests and solo episodes to help you build your business, brand, and big idea. Hey, hey, welcome back. Awesome to have you here. I'm super excited for this week's episode. Oh, well, really, as I am with all of my episodes, but for any of you that follow me on stories uh, or just on the podcast or anywhere else, I have been talking about a particular book for a little while now that I randomly kind of stumbled across in the airport bookshop, which is called Brand Hustle. And so I thought, and this is a lesson to you because I talk about it all the time, I just emailed the author, Troy McKinner, and I said, hey, love your book. Do you want to be on the podcast? And he said, yes. So once again, ask for what you want and you never know, you might just get it. So I'm excited to be interviewing him today on the podcast, talking all things brand hustle. It's like two of my favorite words. Anyway, if this is your first time here, hey there, I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, and this podcast is brought to you by The Connection Exchange, and I work with savvy business owners to help you build a confidently bold brand, articulate a powerful message, and attract clients who want your brand and flavor of awesome source so that you can play bigger and brand bolder. Sound good? I think it does. So there you go. Now, the other thing that I did want to let you know, and I'm going to be talking about more, is that if you enjoy the podcast and you want to connect more, plus you want to access free Q&As with me about anything I talk on the podcast, then make sure you head over to the Brand Builders Lab Facebook group where I do live Facebook Q&As. You can ask me anything that you want. How good is that? Because I want to continue the conversation. I get so many DMs and messages, which I love and thank you for that. But yeah, I am more than happy to answer your questions. So head over to Facebook Brand Builders Lab group and come say hi. But without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Troy McKenna, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So my audience already know because I've been sharing on Insta Stories your book, which is Brand Hustle, which I stumbled across at the airport and it just, the colour stood out for me and I was like, oh, what's that? Uh, and then I have read it and I've got lots of little dog ears throughout it and lots of highlighted sections. And I already knew when I finished it that I wanted to read it again because I'm like, I feel like I didn't absorb everything. And I yeah. think that there's so much goodness in it. So first of all, congratulations on the book. Yeah, thank you. That's a great review. I appreciate that. <laughs> Happy to go and write a review for you yeah. as well. I really yeah, loved perfect. it. My Quite a few of my audience are like, where did you get it? And what is it? And so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I think that for any brand geeks out there, I thought it was awesome. So what made you write it in the first place? Uh, well, brand geek is probably a good good term to sort of call myself. Um, 
you know, I've always loved brands and I can sort of remember when I was a little kid, uh, I was getting into surfing and I remember getting a, a board and uh, standing it back and getting my Poscas out and, and basically drawing every single surf brand logo on the bottom of it and sort of, um, you know, uh, just loved it. And then um, I studied marketing and got into it, but I, I really didn't uncover the true value of branding until I was at Mars. And um, I got the opportunity to pick up the Pods brand, a uh, little wafer cups of, of chocolate and caramel. And I picked it up when it was about six months old and there'd been all this hype, but it was tanking and it was in the biscuit aisle and it was in a box and it was priced wrong. And there was all these things that were wrong with it. And so I had about six months to turn it around and um, really got my hands dirty on every part of the brand, where we sold it in store, what type of stores we sold in, how we branded it, how we uh, packaged it, priced it, advertised it. And, you know, over that process, we managed to turn the brand around from declining to it doubled in the first 12 months and then tripled a couple of years later. And so from a, a business point of view and an impact, um, it was an amazing experience. From a financial point of view for the business, it was amazing, uh, you know, for the bottom line. Uh, and then just aligning people around that. So that was a sort of great experience out of building brands. And then uh, when I was at Schweppes, um, Schweppes has lots of amazing brands, but the business is, uh, it, it's a lot more financially driven and more obsessed about putting volume through the factories. So I was making a lot of decisions that were detrimental to the brands, which was sort of really frustrating. Uh, and I guess why I wrote Brand Hustle was, you know, I think a lot of companies are losing the art of brand building and don't really understand it. And, um, uh, and therefore, you know, you can see it in the P&L for a good business that knows how to build a brand versus one that's just selling on price and moving a lot of volume. Um, financially it makes a big difference. The growth is a lot different for the, from a top line point of view. So lots of benefits to it, but that's really what, uh, I was aiming to do. And then I guess the other part is that marketing is sort of get taught and the way it was 10, 20 years ago was you had a lot of time and companies were patient and you could sit around and write a three year marketing plan. And, uh, you know, you could take 12 months to make a new campaign and, you know, there was lots of patience. No one has that patience anymore. Um, you know, most marketing roles turn over within 12, 18 months, two years. And so you don't have a lot of time to make an impact and, um, everyone's getting short-term obsessed and whether that's the CFO um, looking at, uh, you know, delivering this quarter's financial returns or the sales team around what are we going to sell this week, this month. Um, and so marketing's got left out of that conversation. So the, I guess the hustle parts of that is how do you, how do you build a brand, but do it well and strategic, but do it in a way that delivers results in short term, which is what everyone really needs, whether you're a startup or a big business, everyone's, you know, chasing cash flow or they're chasing, uh, you know, profit growth. Yeah. And I think the one thing that I did love about the pods example is for those of you who don't know, it's like the, it's like a little triangle biscuit thing with some caramel. Is it chocolate? Is it chocolate or Cho caramel? Yeah, caramel it's and chocolate. Yeah, both. In the middle. But what I loved about it is that you really did an analysis of who was eating it. And it was kind of like the women that were eating it, it was almost like um, portion control. Yeah. And for the blokes, it was like that they could down a whole bag yeah. during like a snack, snack sort of thing. Uh, and I just loved that it was really going into that depth of who's using it, how are they using it, why are they consuming it, what like what messages are going to really resonate for them? How do we sell it to different markets? And I think that that segmentation and really understanding 
the problem, I'm kind of doing that in inverted commas, yeah. um, the problem that it solves was really interesting the way that you went about actually doing that research. Yeah. And I think that's the, I guess that's the heart of my message, which is, you know, you might own the trademark in a legal sense for the brand and you might think you're writing this, you know, the strategy and all of, uh, you know, how you're going to execute it all. But really the value of the brand sits in the consumer's heads and in their behavior. And uh, unless you understand that fully and understand how to work with that and tap into those um, motivations they've already got and, you know, behaviors already got, you're not going to be able to build a brand. And so I think, you know, I did um, at uni, I did a marketing degree and an arts degree at the same time. And in my arts degree, I did a lot of psychology and I reckon I tap into my psychology degree more than I do my marketing degree because marketing is about understanding people, their behaviors, their motivations, and, you know, not to manipulate it, but how do you sort of tap into it and understand it so you can, you know, build your brand and, and sort of uh, build your business. Yeah, absolutely. And my audience know I rave, I rave on about this all the time. It's really about that emotional connection that you have with, with your customers and them understanding that you do solve a problem and that you do have them at the centre of like why you're doing what you do. And so I would love to know on a personal level, what's like a brand that you love and like why do you love it? Uh Oh, there's, that's a really tricky question for someone that's into brands. Um, you know, like the, I was even just on the weekend, uh, uh, a marathon runner broke two hours for the marathon and which is amazing feat. Um, but Nike is sort of at the heart of it. And now it's all coming out around all the technology that he's worked with them over a long time. And so, you know, a, you can't go past a big brand like that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, another brand in that space is Patagonia where the, you know, the, uh, they've really built a business with purpose and the products are amazing. And, you know, the, the whole rationale behind the founder of build a business that does good for the environment as well. And so, you know, the shift to organic cotton and, um, you know, just everything they do, making products with longevity rather than fast fashion. So, you know, I love that. Um, a great Australian brand that's sort of close to home is uh, Four Pillars Gin. I don't know if you've got many GT drinkers out there and listeners. Um, but yeah, Four Pillars Gin are built over, you know, last five or so years, a, a really um, amazing craft gin brand. But what I love is everything they do is about the product and, you know, the way they craft it, um, the recipes that they come up with, you know, they're just launching now that, for example, their Christmas gin where they, um, they basically soak Christmas puddings in with, uh, with their gin to get a new, really unique flavor. And, you know, they come up with an Australian artist to come up with a new label for that. And they, you know, they promote it, uh, you know, the photography of that and the, you know, the recipes that go with that. So they have this real system around, creating great products, but everything that encompasses that. And so that's how they built their brand, which, you know, I, I sort of look and uh, look towards and love. So yeah, lots of examples, but they're yeah. sort of the, the, come, the couple that come to mind. Awesome. And I think that kind of goes into the next question that I wanted to ask is what you're sort of saying in the market. And I do think that a lot of people are now buying based on the values of an organization and like how they're showing up and how they're being socially conscious or like why they do what they do and those brand stories. And it's really not, we're not just looking for a product or a service anymore. We're looking for a business that shows up and has a reason for why they do what they do. Uh, and so what are you sort of seeing in the market as far as how consumers have changed their buying behavior? 
Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think there's lots of change, but at the same time, there's, there's some things that remain true. Um, I think the, at the heart of it is uh, people lead really busy lives and uh, they only have so much time to get into, you know, what they're purchasing and, and how they go about that. And so they really pick and choose what categories or products are really meaningful to them uh, and, and really go on in depth in that. But I think there's, you know, if you look at that end of the spectrum, there's a lot more research that happens now around, you know, if you're into chocolate, you really get into, you know, who are the craft chocolate makers that are out there? What are they doing? And you try them, you go and meet them at farmer's markets or wherever they're sampling. And so you really get into it. And then you understand the story of where they've sourced their cocoa beans from and the, how they've produced it. And then some people, you know, aren't that into it and they, you know, they get Cadbury at half price at their supermarket yeah. on the weekend. And so the, the difference between those two shopping experiences and process they've gone through is quite different. And so if we really got into every single product and where it comes from, how it's produced, who's behind it, um, you, you know, we've just run out of time. So I think you, you're seeing both ends of the spectrum still uh, relevant. Uh, uh, but I'd say that what, it, what you see now is there's this immediacy to um, some some categories and um, particularly uh, when categories where there's lots of innovation and that the immediacy I talk about is I see someone on Instagram with it, I click through to their page. I want to buy it right now. I want to find out more about it. I want to buy it right now. And if you're not in that world and servicing that uh, customer, you're going to miss the sale. Um, yeah. And so it's uh yeah yeah as I said there's a lot of a lot more research going on a lot more trans transparency expected and a lot more immediacy and speed to those those processes. Yeah, and I think as a consumer, my expectations have changed because at the moment Instagram is where I probably spend the majority of my time. If there is a product or service that's online, my expectation is that I should be able to click on the image and go straight to the product and buy it. So I get a little bit annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That make it way too hard. Yes. <laughs> I'm frustrated if I kind of can't do that now, just because obviously I know that the tech is there to be able to. So I think, yeah, understanding your buyer's behavior, what they want, uh, and being able to deliver something quickly and easily without the friction is really important. Otherwise you have probably lost a big opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And you can see that in every category. There's, you know, there's big players that have to service all the market and, you know, they, they're bought everywhere. And then there's little niche guys and lots of probably a lot of your listeners that are starting up their own business and they can start out small. And I guess what all this tech and social media and so on has changed is anyone can start any idea in their bedroom and, uh, and get it out to an audience. And, you know, you can start with one sale. You don't need to convince you know, a big retailer to take it on board. You can find one customer and start the ball rolling. And I think that's really amazing that I think equally it makes it, um, you know, brand building even more important because it's so competitive uh, in every industry. There's, you know, thousands of products now that can, uh, that are popping up just because someone's got a great product or, you know, something that they've created at home and, and want to share it. Yeah. Awesome. So I do want to dive into the book a little bit. And there was something that kind of really stood out to me. I mean, there is so much in the book, like there for anybody that is going to go out and get it, it's like just a Bible of branding, really. Like there's so many practical, actionable, tactical things that you've got in it um, that we can't go through it all today. But one of the things that really stood out for me is that you talk about 
or you say it's faster to grow a brand by bringing in new buyers than it is to work against human nature and get existing customers to be loyal. Now, obviously, there's that old saying that it's um, easier to keep a client than get a new one. But you're saying that that's not the case anymore. Uh, I, yeah, no, I guess there's 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 uh, facets to both of that. I guess what I'm getting at in the book is there's, you know, your sales are made up with the number of people that buy you and how much they buy in a in a purchase in a year or whatever that may be. And, uh, and it is a bit at odds because everyone has been built, you know, has learned that, um, you know, over the years that brand building is about building loyalty. I think when you get into this marketing science, and I've been sort of fortunate that I've worked in big companies. So I've seen lots of data on, uh, all of these brands we've worked on and the marketing science will show you that, the biggest brands have the most buyers and in some cases, lots of those buyers are really infrequent. Uh, so there's a long tail to it. Uh, and so they've built their scale by getting more people to buy their brand. And uh, I guess my point is uh, definitely keep servicing your current customers as well as you can. Uh, but loyalty is, uh, is a difficult one. Um, you know, uh, I guess people aren't so much loyal as in, I don't want to call them lazy, but they want it easy. And so really big brands and really strong brands make it easy for people to buy. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's easy to think about them. It's easy to find when you're shopping. It's easy when you get there, the product works, the service works. Um, It's a good value for money, all of that sort of stuff. So they've made it really easy. Um, Loyalty is uh, when you dig into the data, there's some, definitely some people that are loyal. They'll only ever buy a certain brand, but they're a very, very small portion of the market. And so if you want to build scale and you want to build your business, you need to keep bringing people in. And that's the point around, you've got to bring new buyers in and it's, it's going to be faster growth for you to bring new buyers in to get someone to buy, you know, 10,000 chocolate bars out of you in a year, for example. It's better to find 10,000 people that will buy one chocolate bar and, and a faster way to grow. Um, yeah, and so it's it's a you know there's a controversial uh, sort of marketing scientist called Byron Sharp um, who works with the Ehrenberg Bass, which is a sort of marketing science institute in South Australia. Um, and but it's it's sort of challenged a lot of those uh, sort of urban myths within marketing. Um, you know, I'll give you a really good example. When I first learned it was about a bit over ten years ago, and I was working on Snickers. And so Snickers historically had this target market of sixteen to twenty-four year old young guys. Uh, and where for gen- for decades the strategy was let's try and get those sixteen twenty-four year old guys to be really loyal to Snickers. Now what we found out when we really dug into the data was everyone that eats chocolate bars eats Snickers, and you know, you can get as much loyalty or lack of loyalty out of a 60 year old woman as you can out of a 16 year old guy. Uh, and so people have this repertoire and some days they feel like something with peanuts in it. Some days they want something crunchy. So, you know, they're going to fit, you know, something like a crunch bar or, or whatever. Sometimes they want something really indulgent. So like a Mars bar or even, you know, getting into some of the block chocolates. And so, um, people have this repertoire, uh, and the loyalty is, is, um, you know, there's only so much loyalty you can get out of people and it's just human nature because they just want some, something different or it's out of stock at the shop they go to or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Uh, but you know, again, a good example is, um, you know, four pillars gin do a lot to really build loyalty 
and sort of connection is probably a better word with their yeah. brand. And so they started out and they did a, a crowdfunding campaign. I think it was about a thousand people sign up for the first one. Those first thousand people still get special emails to say, you've got early access to new products and so on. But what they've also done is over time, they're constantly building their email list. And so that email list is up into the, the last time, time I talked to them was in the 30,000s. And so they keep building the brand by bringing more people into that inner sanctum and give them a really great experience and, and build a connection with them. And so if they stuck with that first thousand people, their brand would have stagnated. Yeah. If the, it, it, by moving to that, how do I build it and build that connection, they've been able to build their brand. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of a two-pronged approach then. So it's obviously continuing to build brand awareness, bring new customers in, but then it's really still giving the love to the customers that are maybe a little bit more diehard as well or that really want to support your business. And I, I think just the other question on that, do you think that there's more brand loyalty for higher priced products rather than maybe things that are a little bit more commoditized? Yeah, you definitely see, I mean, any category where there's a bit more connection. And so, again, working on chocolate, people love chocolate. And so really get into it and they really connect with brands. If you're working on toilet paper or, you know, bags of rice or flour or whatever, yeah. that's hard to build a connection. And so there's, you see, like even if you look in the data, a category like chocolate, the Coles and Woolworths have really struggled to do private label chocolate. If you go to flour it's dominated by private label because there's just not that connection and it's hard to build a connection with that. So yeah, yeah it's, yeah, yeah, you definitely see differences. Um, uh, I think to your point around loyalty and sort of more premium categories, I think you can definitely, you can see that as well. But again, sort of looking at a, a data and again, I use alcohol as an example. Um, Four Pillars Gin competes with Gordon's and all other gin brands, but it also competes with beer, wine and spirits. If I'm out having a drink, I might have a gin and tonic, but I might also just have a beer or I might have a red wine and that can change even in one sitting at a restaurant. You can start with a gin and tonic and you can finishing on, you know, dessert wines or whatever yeah. it may be. So it's um, loyalty. Again, back to this topic of loyalty, it's difficult because people just have their own behavior that they, they yeah. do. And it looks, it looks really random when you look at one person in isolation. When you look at a whole marketplace, it's really scientific and follows a really uniform structure. Uh, I love it. Cases. I find it super interesting. And I know that you did go into, um, I guess, some of the science and the things that you had learned along the way in the book as well, which I found really interesting to go through. One of the other things that I really wanted to talk about was you talked about two factors that impact brand value, which is the mental availability and the physical availability. And so I just wanted to, I guess, translate that a little bit. Like how can my listeners be a little bit more aware of this when it comes to their customers and what do they need to kind of understand or be thinking about? Yeah. Um, again, back to this topic of people are busy and lead busy lives and they've got a lot going on. Um, they, uh, they looking for easy solutions. And what I mean by easy is not cheap and you know, uh, whatever. Uh, what I mean is it, it comes to mind really easy and it's easy to buy. Now, if I give you an example of, you know, like a scenario of it's, um, you know, it's a summer's day. It's, it's, you know, 35 degrees. Uh, you've just had a call from your mate. They're, all your mates hitting the beach to watch the sunset and have a beer. Can you go past the bottle shop and get the slab of a beer or six pack of beer or whatever? Chances are, you know, I go through that scenario. If I said, what are the top few brands that come to mind? 
Corona is most likely one of those top brands that comes to mind because what they've done is built this association with that moment. Uh, and you know, the best brands are building that association. So mental availability is, does it come to mind when I'm thirsty and my mates calling and the beers are calling and the sunsets calling, does Corona come to mind? Has it really sort of anchored itself on that? Um, you know, having worked on soft drinks and we looked after, I was working on the Pepsi brand, but obviously compete against Coke, which in Australia is far more dominant than Pepsi. Coke have built mental availability in lots of ways. And so there's lots of needs they tap into. So one might be, um, you know, uh, I'm going to get a bit of fast food, burger and chips. You know, what, uh, what sort of brands come to mind? And chances are Coke is one of the first brands that comes to mind because it's, it's just built this association. You go to Macca's and there's, you know, big Mac and fries and, and a Coke. And can, so I just, really- can I just tell you, whenever you say Coke, and I swear it was in the 90s that, this, that they had this jingle, the sun will always shine, the birds will always sing. As long as there is Coke, there's always the real thing. And yeah. it was like summer and the pool and big floaties. And I'm like... I swear I would have been in my teens yeah. when that, and that song still sticks in my head. So it's that association with summer and Coke. I know you're saying like Maccas or yeah. fast food, but for me it's like, and I don't even drink soft drinks, but, <laughs> but that sticks with if me. If you're going to, you'd be drinking Coke, wouldn't you? Probably. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, again, back to the, you talked about the science. Um, there's about there's hundreds of reasons why people drop by soft drinks, but there's, there's about a dozen really important ones. And so with fast foods, one, uh, summer refreshments, one, which is what you've just tapped into. Um, I mix it with drinks. So if I go to the bar and order a bourbon, chances are I'm not ordering a bourbon and Pepsi. I'm ordering a bourbon Coke. Yes. Uh, and so they've built that, um, the Christmas is another big one. So if you're entertaining the family, you know, they started you know, Santa Claus and advertising a long, long time ago. So they've built all these mental associations, which basically just means it's really easy to think about Coke in a buying moment. And it's really interesting. Like I, we don't have soft drink in our home generally, um, but it's like a treat for my kids when we go out. And I've got a son who's seven and he now orders Coke Zero. And I'm just like, where has that come from? Which obviously is his little treat. Yeah. But I even find it really interesting what kids tap into and like how they, like that's his thing that he loves. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea where that's come from. Yeah. I mean, there'd be a social, he's seen yeah. something, he's seen an ad somewhere. He's seen, you know, one of his older sort of idols drinking it somewhere or one mates at school or whatever. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's how brands build. And, and I think one of the challenges they've Coke have got and, you know, the soft drink industry's got is that uh, it's not getting as many of those new generation coming through as they would have, you know, you know, going back over the years. Um, yeah. And so I think that mental availability is that is the sort of the first part. And then the physical availability, which we're tapping onto as well is, is about how do you make it easy? And so, you know, again, I'll sort of continue the example of Coke. If, if I'm feeling like fast food and I walk into um, McDonald's, it's there, it's easy. Uh, and so it's easy to buy. If, uh, if I walked in a KFC, which is, as serves Pepsi, it's not available. And so the chances are I'm not going to walk into KFC and order my, my fast food and then go, I hold the drink. I'm going to go walk across the road to find it somewhere else. And so they've just, Pepsi have made it easy to buy in KFC. And so uh, the point is around, how do you make it easy to buy in that buying moment? And because people, back to the point of, 
again, not to call consumers lazy, but they just want it easy. Yeah. And so they're not going to shop around if the first brand's not there, which is why they have a repertoire they can tap into. So, you know, in any category, uh, you'll find that brands, people will have two or three or four brands that they're really happy to buy. Um, you know, it's the same on, same stats at, at having worked on chocolate and soft drinks. It's the same in, in you know, when you think about fashion, shoes, cars, whatever it may be, you know, I think about cars as a, as an example, um, really high end purchase, you know, really expensive and you're not doing it that often. Um, the standard person, the average person has three to five brands that they think about in that buying moment and then they yeah. go through and end up selecting whatever they do. So that, you know, from, the availability of it comes into it and price comes into it as well. I can walk in a store on my hot day thinking about Corona, but if I see Asahi at the front of the store and it's right there on a big display and it's, it's cheap, it's gold. Like, oh, that'll do. That was one of my other brands. So um, I guess that's the battle. Um, yeah. And, you know, in a, that, we've been talking a lot about the physical part. So physical availability of stores and, and but it, it's also true of a, uh, technical environment, like a, a digital environment. If I go to Google and I'm searching for new shoes, for example, um, chances are I'm not going to get past the second or the third page of Google search. Yeah. Uh, and so availability is that, you know, the search results as well. So, it, you know, uh, it sort of, it plays out in a, in a digital environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of do say to my audience too, is that really taking a look at the journey that your customers or audience could potentially go on from say, finding you on Instagram or on social through to your website, how easy is it for them to understand what you do, who you work with, what your products and services are? Like, is that really hard for them to find? Because I've experienced that where it's been really difficult for me to understand something about somebody and I've just clicked away because I'm just like, I don't have the time or the energy to figure this out. Yeah, definitely. And that comes down to the detail as well that you give some, you know, you go on some sites and they just have all this technical detail and you just get lost in it. And, you know, people again are just wanting something really quick and, you know, hit them between the eyes with a really simple message that resonates with them and is a language that's motivating to them and meaningful to them yeah. yeah awesome which kind of leads us to uh the four foundations for building a brand which i really loved uh and i would love you to take us through that so what have you sort of found and what are these four things yeah so the four foundations they sort of work in a in a sequence um they work in a they interconnect in that they you need to have a picture of all of the uh foundations as one uh and um, yeah, so you know, I'll start. I'll go through them all, but starting with the first one, which is uh, which is about problems. And so, customers pay you to solve a problem for them. And so, you need to understand what that problem is. Uh, and so, what any person has is, you know, everyone has needs, um, motivations, somewhere they're trying to get to. But there's there's something that stops them from getting there. There's a tension point, uh, and that's your job to help them fulfil the need without the problem. And so, um, you know, I'll talk through an example of uh, a brand I'm working on at the moment, uh, Calm and Stormy. So uh, sparkling and still mineral water in aluminium cans. And so the, the need is I'm thirsty, I need refreshment, I need, you know, um, something convenient when I'm out. Um, but the problem is people are, are sort of uh, really sick of buying plastic and single-use plastic. And so there's two ways you can solve that. Uh, you can people can just stop buying and they'll, they won't buy 
or in our case, we've solved it with an aluminium can because it's the most recyclable um, format, contains the most recycled content as a starting point. Uh, and so the problem we're solving is you can buy, you drink when you're thirsty, when you're out uh, and feel less guilt because you, you're doing a better environmental solution to that. Uh, but every category has got the same thing, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, as we talked about, um, soft drinks and I want something that's going to help me wash down my burger and fries. Uh, but you know, it needs to be convenient. You know, in this case now it needs to have no sugar because that's an issue. So that's where zero sort of pops up. It needs to be healthier, which is where things like, um, iced teas and other formats of work. So, uh, yeah, it's about solving that problem for people. Um, uh, so and so just with the problem, how, like what sort of, is it just speaking to your customers? Is it listening to them? Like what are some of the ways that you kind of feel like you uh, go a little bit deeper around what their problem is when it comes yeah. to that? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's lots of ways. You definitely, you need to get as close as you can to the consumer, your customers, and in the moment they're using it. Um, so we do lots of work where we'll go into people's homes and, you know, sticky beak through their um, fridges. Um, you know, we've been doing stuff in the, in the building industry at the moment and we'll go out to building sites and we're just, you know, talking through exactly what's happening through the process. So getting as close as you can. So, um, you, you know, my first advice would be don't be shy, go out and sort of talk to customers uh, and, um, you know, you can find those problems in any, any, uh, anywhere. Um, you know, even just online these days, if you, if you're in a, um, selling a product, you can get onto reviews of your major competitors and you can go through and say, what are all the, tick all the bad reviews and go, what's going on? And you know, this product doesn't work because you know, the battery goes flat too quick or, you know, it's too big or it's too heavy or I like it in a different color or, and you can see those reviews. And so they're the sort of problems you're looking for because that's, you know, that's a customer waiting to, you know, uh, waiting for you to come up with this new product. Uh, and so that's, I guess it's a key one. I mean, I've got a great story when we were developing the real ice tea company, which is an ice tea brand. Um, the starting point of the finding that problem was we started talking to janitors, you know, like, um, cleaners in uh, food courts and the observation they had was with Lipton iced tea uh, they're often throwing out half drunk bottles which led us down this path of people like the idea of the iced tea because it's healthier uh, but what they were finding with Lipton was the taste was really bitter and wasn't that great and so you know which was a really odd observation um, and probably the most random place that a new yeah. brand has ever started but that's what that's the sort of space you need to get into and, and really start to dig into that um you yeah. know there's a really great book i refer to in mine which is uh small data by martin lindstrom so you know he gives great examples of you know getting into people's homes getting into their workspaces or wherever your product is used and really uncovering those tension points because uh, that's you know as i said people pay you to solve that, that tension for them and the better the bigger the problem and the better you can solve it the more they're going to pay you yeah i love it no that's great so the first thing is really understanding the problem and the tension point that your customers are obviously wanting to solve that problem yes definitely definitely and then and so once you know that that then sets you up for the second foundation which is about building solutions and so people buy solutions they're not they're not buying or your technical features and so on. Uh, and so what, um, you know, in the book I talk about um, features and benefits, but almost a benefit ladder of, so what, what are the key features of your product? And 
you ask yourself the question of so what? Yeah. I've got all I've got all these ticks I can put on the front of pack. It's like so what? What's the benefits going to do, deliver to me? And the first benefit's really a rational one, which is what does it functionally do for me? Um, and then you can ask yourself once you deliver that functional benefit, so what? What does it do for me in a uh, in emotional benefit space? Uh, you know, I always love the Snickers example here of it's packed full of peanuts. It really satisfies your hunger, and so yeah. that, that's the your hunger is the functional benefit delivers. And then the emotional benefit is, is that it really satisfies it. Like it's, it, it's sort of taking it to the next level. And so, you know, that's, it's, it's about getting it as simple as possible, but people understand. And I think that's, you know, having worked on Snickers, it's, it's an amazing brand that's done that job of, you know, you're not you when you're hungry. It's sort of, yeah. it, you know, I've got a five-year-old and, and he gets the hangries uh, <laughs> quite often. I don't feed him any Snickers bars because that thing makes, tends to make things even, even worse. But people can relate to that. People yeah. can relate to, I'm a bit hungry and I'm a bit irritable. And so, that, you know, they've done a really nice, great, great job of, of solving that. Um, yeah, and it's so, so well known as well. Yeah, like definitely. That's that line, yeah. Yeah, and so it's. I think the the features, are, I guess, what really sets your product apart. And the shorter this list, the better. Um, you see lots of brands, I think, fall into the trap of we can do. You know, we've got these ten, twenty yeah. different features, and you can actually overstack your brand. Um, and uh, the challenge of that is, again, back to people need it easy. If you're saying, yeah, here's here's twenty reasons to buy me people go, I'll glaze over. What you need to find is what's the most relevant to the biggest audience possible. Yeah. And, and sort of really hone in on that. And I guess just, the other... Sorry, just on that, I find it really interesting as well. I feel like it's only when you test some of the messages that you can see what lands as well, because I sort of think that I talk about like a range of things, but there's been one or two things where the response has been so much bigger or that's been like more of a hook than the other thing that I thought that was a hook. Yeah. So just around the, you know, talking about the solution, how have you tested messages in the past? Like what sort of, how do you know what message is really going to land or going to be that hook that you really want it to be? Yeah. I, th I think it, again, it comes back to sort of getting in front of your customers as much yeah. as possible. So a great example, when we were developing the Carmen, Carmen Stormy as a brand, we had, uh, we prototyped it basically. So we had 15 different designs, different names, different messages, different hierarchies. Uh, and we basically got, I uh, went to local printers and got $3 stickers and we went and bought cans on the market and stuck the stickers to a whole lot of them. So we, we had 15 cans we put in front of consumers and also our, our future sort of retailers like cafes and, and sort of other food out, outlets. And we'd get them to just go, here's 15 different things. What do you like? What do you grab? And we'd start to talk through that. And, you know, in the end, we've, we've sourced our water from a, a dormant volcano. Uh, and so it filters through this dormant volcano for 30 years and picks up a really nice mineral content. Now, people go, you know, dormant volcano. Does, you know, does that really matter to me? But what resonated was people go, I know where it comes from. And it's got a, it's got a, like it's anchored in something that's really sort of, I understand that. I understand the benefit to that. And so um, basically our, our end product ended up being a mix match of three different um, prototypes we had because that volcanic message really resonated. The black can really resonated with other, other, you know, one of the other designs and the logo and the name from another. 
So yeah. we sort of ended up mix, mixing and matching, but that's, that's my sort of best piece of advice is get it down. Um, once you understand that problem you're solving, frame it in a way that's motivating and meaningful. You know, like again, using Snickers as an example, Snickers could go to the market with, we've got eight grams of protein and it gives you, it keeps you fuller for 22% longer and all this really scientific message. They just go, no, it really satisfies. You know, it's packed full of peanuts, really satisfies because that resonates with the biggest audience. And so, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's the key thing you're trying to learn. You know, in, in testing lots of messages, the best thing is one-on-one with people because you can start to see their reaction and, um, you know, you can see it, you know, when you're under something because people sort of get a bit excited or it's more memorable or go, Oh, I remember you were telling me about that. I love that. Or, you know, um, forcing decision. I mean, you know, that was a pretty old school way of putting stickers on cans. So you can do that obviously in a digital sense of even just running two different messages on a Instagram ad, Facebook ad, whatever it may be and, and testing them that way. But you know, it's you can get the quantitative data that way the best is the qualitative where you're actually talking to people face to face yeah awesome now three and four which are going to go through these are my two faves because i think i talk about brand experience all the time yeah so obviously number one was understanding the problem number two was the solution number three is experience yeah and so this is about selling more than just a widget in a box at a certain price and so it's it's about selling a multi-sensorial experience uh, and, and what's the best channel for you to do that? Uh, you know, in any industry you'll see, uh, there's different retail forms. Like there's obviously direct to consumer, but if you're going through a, th- a third party to sell for you, you know, there's, there's some retailers that just sell, um, a few things really cheaply and, you know, they put them on a, they stack them high and watch them fly as the old saying that, you know, they, um, you know, they're really the dealers of the market and they're trying to, offer the lowest price uh, on something mainstream. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have the curators who are sort of <clears throat> retailers that um, really think about the total experience they're offering. Uh, and so, um, you know, what does the music sound like when I walk in? You know, what's the, what is it, how does it, uh, how does it feel when I touch it? What does it smell like? And so the, the, again, back to the science, it's proven that it's more memorable if you engage more senses. And so, you know, I guess that's a key, um, a key part of your retail strategy where you're going to sell. Um, if you're selling online, it's hard. Um, you know, obviously it's, you really just tap into sound and, um, and, and the visuals. Um, but even then, you, you know, um, you know, a brand I love is uh, Rafa and cycling gear. I don't know if you've got any cyclists. But what they did was they sell cycling gear, but amazing sort of technical gear, but they sell it through this really emotive video content. And so they became best in class at creating two, three-minute videos of people riding through these amazing scenes. And so it just makes you want to go and ride your bike and, and wear their gear. And so that they've sort of tapped into the, the sensory experience in a, um, in a digital sense. Um, yeah. And I think that like a lot of my listeners do operate online initially, like whether, even though they might, whether they've got a product or a service-based business, I think that video as a medium is a great way to connect on an emotional level when you are just 
potentially transacting or attracting or brand building online. Uh, and so really maybe showing the experience that other customers have when they interact with you or if you're running events or things like that, like showing all of that, I think really gives people FOMO that like they yeah. don't want to miss out on that or, you know, even just whatever the opportunity is of, of somebody that you've worked with and now where they are. So that journey of, uh, you know, the positive outcome that they've had just by interacting with you or being part of your community or buying from you. So I think that video is such a powerful medium when we are in more of a digital space as well. If you're not, if you don't have a physical product. Yeah, definitely. And it's even down to how you, how you post it. And, you know, so a friend's has done, um, a new uh, running brand called Unsun Unsanctioned. And, you know, it's made from uh, recycled bottles. And so his materials all, you know, it's got a backstory to it, but, um, I bought one online and he sent it to me and it's, it's come in a, um, the, you know, like a plastic bag, like most clothing we come in, but it's a recycled bag. And it actually says I'm a dirt bag is because it's, it's basically a plastic bag you can put in with your worm farm. And so it continues to build that experience to his brand. And then you open it up and it's um, a running brand. So it has uh, you know, a little card with, um, four little safety pins because anyone that does running and does fun runs knows that you need four safety pins to get your number on. And so he's really thought about cool. you know, the experience of that unboxing moment, which is sort of so, so big for many things. So, you know, he's thought about that, you know, he, he's added to the experience, you know, he could have easily just sold that in a plastic bag and just put it in a, a DHL, a courier bag and sent it out to you with nothing else. Um, but, but adding those nice little touches, it adds to the experience. And so now here we are talking about it. Yeah. You know, it, you know, so there's ways to add to that. I mean, I think if you can find ways to get into a physical environment, it's always great. I mean, I always use this, the example of the um, wine and, you know, I can go and buy it at, um, a really cheap bottle shop in the, in the, you know, the give what the, the, the clearance bin, you can go and buy a bottle and it's 10 bucks or whatever, yeah. or you can go to a, a vineyard and you can meet the winemaker and you can walk through the the vines. You can see the barrels that it's in. You can hear the whole experience. You can taste them all. And so the experience is a lot more memorable. And therefore it's going to, you, you know, in that, if you're, when you're at the vineyard, they can sell that $10 bottle of wine to you for 50 bucks. And you, you've sort of, you've sucked up into the whole experience and you're happy with I that. I literally did that recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's done that. Everyone's done that. And, but I can, I bet I can, I bet you can tell me what the brand was versus it, you, you know, the last one you bought at a, at your bottle shop in the clearance bin or, you know, at the sort of tight ass Tuesday pizza shop, just give me the house red. No one's remembering that brand because it, there's no experience to it. But, you know, the experience of going to the vineyard is a lot different. Now, obviously, everyone can't have that, you know, the expensive, the expense of their own vineyard and stuff. But, you know, how do you find those, you know, if you're selling stuff online, how do you find those really nice little boutique shops that are, you know, they've really curated what they're putting in, they're really hand-picked? Because uh, that's where it's, you know, you start to really build the brand. Yeah. And I think, but I also just think it's, it's taking a look at what you can do that's above and beyond or that's different to your competitors that, you know, even little things like handwritten cards or, you know, custom made cookies or gifts or things like that, that just surprise and delight. Like, it's just like, I wasn't expecting it. Exactly, How amazing. Yeah. People never do this. So yeah. I think even things like that can be definitely worth looking at how you can implement that or include that in your customer experience. 
Yeah, and again, we've talked a lot about how do you make it easy for people. It's equally, how do you make it easy but memorable? And so create those little points of friction or tension along the way to go, oh, that was, I didn't expect that. That was great. And so that that's all helps um, helps build the brand. Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is back to that mental and physical availability is you're trying to make it memorable so it's easy to, to purchase when they're in that moment and you're wanting to make it easy to shop for. Yeah. Awesome. And then the last one is memories. And I feel like this, I was, I loved reading about this. So I'm really keen for you to share this because it's probably maybe not something that I have like thought about that much. Yeah. 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 And again, some memories, it's all around, um, as we just talked about, how do you make it easy for your brand to be thought of in that buying moment? Um, and again, back to my psychology degree and sort of tapping into that. Um, what I loved is that there's a, psych- a psychologist called uh, Carl Jung and he started the, um, the theory of archetypes. And so where that came from was if you go through Greek mythology or Roman or, um, you know, Aboriginal or whatever sort of mythology, there's all the similar stories that keep coming through. And, and what the theory is, is that everyone's brain is hardwired to respond to a story. Everyone loves the underdog, the hero, the lover, you know, the, the funny guy. So there's all these different characters and Hollywood's built on it. Um, what I loved is that the evolution of Carl Jung's work um, was used uh, to, I think it was called the story of a thousand faces. Um, and uh, it was used to uh, write Star Wars as the, as the first movie that was really, deliberately written against these archetypes and so there's really clear yeah there's the clear villain there's the clear you know that they talk about the the hero's journey from you know the orphan being luke skywalker to you know to his eventual um you know becoming the hero but along the way he falls in love he has the he has the regular guy the um you know, the Han Solo who's there, sort of no bullshit to it. He's just there to be a mate. And so is Chewie and all of that. And, and then he's got the funny characters that he meets along the way. Um, you know, he's got the really wise one around uh, um, Yoda. And so he, there's all of these archetypes. Oh that my gosh, you, I have never thought about that. Yeah. That's so fascinating. You, you really need to read, read up on archetypes and then watch I, well, Star Wars. I know that like, there's up. 12 brand archetypes out there. Is there 12? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different theories. The one okay. I sort of subscribe to, there's, there's 12. Yeah. Uh, and so um, those archetypes, um, the best brands are sort of built on those. Yeah. Um, you know, so an example of, uh, you know, there's an explorer archetype that goes out and sort of finds um you know finds a sort of eternal um eternal bliss and that's really what brands like jeep tap into you know yeah. jeep is selling you four wheels and a, and a car but they're also adventure. selling the, the adventure that comes yeah. with that as well um yeah and so you know again sort of brands have worked on like m&ms is the jester and it's got the funny you know the two characters and they're funny that. yeah and so that it taps into that but I mean, it, again, it's one of those experiences. I, I first came across it when I was at Mars about 13 or 14 years ago, and it's changed the way I look at brands forever. Um, and, uh, and I guess the, the key part of that is if, you ha- if people are hardwired to these stories and to respond to those stories, um, it's a way to just get into their, to their brain. Again, yeah. to tap, tap into the science, people exposed about 5,000 messages in a day and very, very few of those get in. Uh, and it's only the only ones that get in are the ones that are, are telling a story that people are responding to. Um, there's a part of the brain that's actually uh, it's, acts like a bouncer. It's like you know, it's the it's like the door bitch at the front with the the, the note, the 
the um the you know the clipboard the and, and, yeah. and, the, and the red rope it's letting messages in and so you need to know what message is going to get through that red rope and the and the and the clipboard um so again this is you know tapping into stories and you know back to the, the same the, the um the solution part it's how do you test that with people and what resonates so you, mm. you put it in, in different ways but building long-term brands is about being really consistent uh, and by having that archetype it allows you to know what's a good decision to make and what's a bad decision uh, for the brand and what's on brand and what's not yeah. um, you know again that sort of in my interviewing for the book I chatted to one of the founders of four pillars and you know he talks about um, brand building as is an act of improv it's like it's 24 7 it's fast you got to respond and so if you know what your story is and your voice and uh, your archetype I guess that you know the way you communicate um, it's easy to to react to that and um, you know get messages out there quickly um, so that's a part of it and then I guess the other part is how do you find a platform that um, you know you can build your brand on um, i think one of the dangers for a lot of small businesses it tries to do it you know you try and do everything you've, you've got instagram going you've got twitter going you've got facebook you've got um you know there's what's tiktok whatever's you know whatever's the latest and greatest is coming out how do i respond to that um you worry about your google search you know you've even thought about you know dropping stuff in mailboxes or you know local newspapers or whatever um the best brands have found a platform for them that really works and they've really they build expertise in that because what it takes to make a great instagram post is very different to what it takes to make a great super bowl tv ad yeah now, not, not many people have got the money to spend on the super bowl ad yeah. but it's a totally different skill set and so it's the guys that make super bowl ads have struggled with social media the guys that the big companies haven't been able to embrace social media as well as a startup can because they're just not as nimble and they're yeah. used to making an ad that takes 12 months to make versus I need something every single day. And so it's, yeah. it's a different skill set. And so that'd be my, my point is find the platform that works for you. You know, again, we talked about Instagram. Um, it sort of works if you're selling fashion or something really visually inspiring. If you're selling finance, Instagram's not going to work for you. Like it's people don't want to see what a bank home line looks like or what the latest credit card or whatever looks like so you need to find other other platforms um and so again that's a test and loan scenario but you know i mentioned rafa before they they found theirs was social media but really video content and they they built you know best in class expertise at making great video ads around riding bikes and so yeah. they, they've sort of built their brand that way yeah. Awesome. No, I love that. And I think the experience and the memories, I, I'm like trying to figure out now, I'm like, what, what can I do more around that? So I talk about brand experience a lot, but the memories I'm like, okay, I need to dive a little bit deeper into that, which is really, really great. So I, Trey, thank you so much for your time today. And I just, seriously, if you are a brand geek like me, you need to get this book. It is so good. But one of the, one of the things that I feel, and I don't know if I read it when I picked the book up, but it was just like, there was a line in it that I was like all in on, which was every successful brand needs a fearless custodian. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Because I talk about brave business all the time and my audience knows that I am just like, be bold, be different, be unique, be fearless in it. Like you didn't come here to play small. You decided to start this business, like go for it. And so when you talk about being a fearless custodian, 
what what do you mean by that uh yeah it's yeah what it comes down to is um if you're in a big business you big business is built about efficiency it's built around this is what we've always done this is how we're always going to do it this is how we make money and so if you want to do something brand uh, brand building that's again what we've been talking about it's got to be a bit unique it's got to be a bit different it's got to it's got to interrupt people. Um, no one wants to hear that because it doesn't fit in the way we've historically done stuff. And so um, it takes a lot to get a big idea through a business in a big sense. Um, equally, if you're a small business or even you're working by yourself, you know, you can go and talk to everyone, you know, get opinions on it, talk to your mum and dad, talk to your neighbours, talk to your friends. And if you listen to all of those opinions, you'll basically end up with vanilla ice cream or, you know, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, it's just going to be really boring because you're trying to balance to all of those, those needs. And I guess my point is, you know, you've got to be fearless in that you've got to go and find a problem that no one else has found. So you've got to go, you've got to be talking to the janitors about iced tea or you've got to be digging into the detail in places other people haven't yeah. to understand that. And that takes, that takes bravery to get out there. You, you've got to, uh, you've got to find ways to communicate that, is just hasn't been done before because you know if you're just the same same as all your competitors people just glass over you're just yeah. going to get lost as wallpaper or you're just going to have to spend a hell of a lot of money to keep cutting through uh and so i think that's the big part of it um you know i quote in the book uh i love um i'm a massive nick cave fan and so i quote in in there a story he wrote to um, MTV around he was getting nominated for some award he did with um the song he did with Kylie Minogue and he basically told M MTV to get stuffed because he, he was he was not this mass market poppy. That's what not what he wanted with for his brand, um, and so he walked away from it. And he's kept continues to build his brand in other ways. And you go to a Nick Cave concert, and it's the most hardcore group of fans you've ever seen because he's built this amazing following. And he, but he had to be brave to say, look. MTV is going to probably sell me more records, but it's not right for my brand long-term. And it's the same conversation you see all the time. You know, we have it now with Calm and Stormy. Coles and Woolies could sell a hell of a lot of product for us, but the experience is going to be crap. It's not going to help us build the brand. We want to go and talk to the best cafes. We want to be at the music festivals. We want to be in places where we can build the brand uh, and, and take it for the long-term. And so those there's tough decisions to make along the way all the way along and um and so you need to make you know what feature are you going to put into the product which one are you not you know how are you going to make it stand out um even down to naming you know uh you know most people end up with sort of really boring names because it's really rational and it that sort of it, it sort of uh it works but the brands that really cut through are the ones that have got something a bit more disruptive and yeah i, I yeah i can't um stress that enough that behind any brand I talked to, uh, it was always one person or a couple of people that were making decisions that had a real vision of where they're taking it and made a lot of hard decisions along the way to make that happen. And they had to push. Yeah, you know, it doesn't just happen. You can't, there's no process you can go through to go, all right, I've done a bit of research. Now I've got that. And then you know, I'll do this That's and it. going, and then it works. You got to push and you got to make tough decisions. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the bit I love about brand building is that, uh, you know, uh, it's, there's real art and science to it. And there's a, there's a, there's a leadership to it as well that, yeah. that is required. 
Awesome. I love it. It is the courage of conviction as a, as a brand custodian that I think makes all the difference and yeah, really sticking with that. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this yeah, chat. No, so have I. It's awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. So where can my listeners find out more about you and get the book? I uh, have yes, all the links in the show notes as well, but yeah, those... sure. Yeah. Uh, so agents of spring is um, a sort of uh, business. I do consulting through with clients and um, sell the book through that. So on uh, agents of spring.com. Um, yeah. As you find it, a lot of people finding the book at uh, the airport bookstores, the, uh, sort of key ones out there. Every I can you can get it into ordered into any bookstore in Australia. Um, yeah, or you can find it online at different sites as well. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the main place I do my business. So if anyone wants to reach out and um, yeah. you know find out a bit more, definitely connect with me there. Awesome. Well, Troy, we will have all your links in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for your time today, and congrats on the book. It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, there you go. It was a little bit longer than usual, but I loved this conversation and I really wanted to share it with you. And I think that there were so many great takeaways as well, is really to know your audience and understand what message is really going to resonate with them, understanding your brand personality and check out archetypes. I'll put a link as well in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, and that memories, the memories and the experience. I really like that. So I'm going to be thinking a little bit more around memories myself too. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you got through the whole hour with me, well done you. Uh, and I'd love you to share it on Instagram or wherever you share what content you're listening to uh, and what podcasts you're listening to. I would really, really appreciate it. But thanks for hanging out. Love it. Really enjoyed this one. And make sure you go and check out Brand Hustle. You can find it in good bookshops uh, or you can find it online as well. But if you enjoyed it, I'd love you to leave a review on iTunes because it does help me rank highly and it helps others to find me. And I would so appreciate it. But if you're not already, make sure that you're following me on all social platforms at Suze Chadwick. Come hang in stories with me. But until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold.